right. Have we given enough time, allowed those to come back in? Well, as many of you maybe have noticed, I'm not much of a decorator. And no, we are not doing a remodeling. There are not doors up here because we're doing remodeling. It is actually part of a series that I'm doing right now. And uh, we're going to be continuing today on. And it's uh, called Keys, Seeing God Open Doors. And we're talking about the doors that we have in our lives. Um, it talks about, in, uh, and we're going to get into this in just a moment. I'm going to recap just a little bit of last week. It was, was part one, and I'm going to pick up then on today's. And, uh, but we're talking about doors in our lives. Many times we have situations where we have to figure out, what does God want for me? Does he want me to choose this path, or does he want me to choose this path? Does he have this college for me, or does he want me to go to this college? Is, is this relationship the one I'm supposed to be in, or is it this relationship? Is it this job, or is it that job? Come on. Hello. Anybody ever wonder, and you, you're questioning, God, what is your plan? What do you have for me? And so we have these doors that are before us, and we have to figure out which door is the one that God has for us to go through. We want open doors. Come on. We want open doors to know what God has for us. Or if it's not God, God, close that door and close it tight, right? Because we don't want to go through a door that's not his plan. It's the most miserable thing. How many of you ever went through something? And you found out later that was definitely not the right door. You know, you watch the prices right. Which door do you want to choose? One, two, or three? And you choose the, oh, you chose this one and it has a candy bar. And you go, oh, if I chose number door number one, I would have gotten a new car. You know, darn, I missed the, chose the wrong one, you know. But it's not that way. We can know which door to go through. We can know which door is God's plan for our lives. Which door is the one? And it says, in, uh, and we're going to pick up here, and I'm going to do some recapping of some scriptures rather quickly, but I want you to be able to have the references for the backing for what I am teaching here. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love. So to the church, to, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right. These things says he who is holy, who is true. He who has the key of David. So the key of David is something critical here, and here's why it says that. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So the key of David is Jesus. And he's the one that can open. He's the only one who holds that key. We do not hold the key of David, but we carry Jesus inside of us. So therefore, Jesus dwells in us. God dwells in us in the life form because of what Jesus did. He dwells inside of us, and we are carriers of his presence, of him dwelling in us. He no longer dwells. The presence of God does not dwell in an ark somewhere. While everybody wants to find, you know, we all seen the movie Indiana Jones where they want to find the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what? There's nothing there anymore. The presence of God is not in that ark. The presence of God dwells in us because when Jesus died, we went with him and now he came back and he dwells in us as a spirit, spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And so the, the key of David is Jesus dwelling in us. He holds the key and it says he's the one who holds the key, who opens and no one shuts the doors that opens. He will be able to open the door that nobody can shut that door. If God opens it, amen. How many of you want to go through a door that it doesn't matter what happens, 
Nobody can shut it behind you. We're always afraid that, well, if I go down this, somebody's going to take it away. I'm going to lose that opportunity. If God opens it, no one can shut it. But if God shuts the door, nobody can open it. And that includes us. You could try to force and kick that door down, but you know what? If God shuts a door, it's shut. And we can trust him that he's going to have only good for us. Come on. We talked about this last week many times. Jesus holds that key, the key of David, to be able to open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. Now, can I trust God to be good for me, to not use that against me? Come on. Do you believe that? You have to have a core belief that God is good and that he only has good for you. Otherwise, you'll believe that he's going to dangle that carrot in front of you. Only to, as soon as you get to that door, you got the new car. All you got to do is go through that door. You go to the door, and you open the door, and you start going through it, only to have it shut right in your face. Come on. How many of you believe that? Many times we believe that God is there. He's going to shut the door as soon as we get to it. Dangling the carrot, only to pull it away. Come on. We can trust that he is the one. Why do you think Jesus holds those keys? We talked about it last week. We showed the picture. Jesus is the only one who can hold those keys because he's the one who loved us most. We know that because the piercings in his hand, the one who's holding the keys has proof of his love. He has proof of his love. It's marked in his hands, his love for us. So we know that Jesus only has good for us. He holds the key of David to open doors that no one can open. We're going to look at some of the doors. And Isaiah, and we know that this is um, Jesus who did this. Jesus is the key of David in Isaiah 22, verses 23 through 24. And this is a prophetic um, a prophecy by Prophet Isaiah. Uh, um, prophet Isaiah said this. And it's verse 22. It says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders. So he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. And we know, as we talked about last week, what are those cups and pitchers? What are the vessels that are hung upon Jesus? That strong peg? That is us. We hang upon Jesus. Everything we do hangs upon Jesus. It's built upon the rock, Jesus Christ. If it's not built upon Jesus, it all will collapse. Come on. I always say this whenever I'm talking to people about getting married or a relationship. Build the foundation on your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are worried about a, a, who you're going to marry, young people or adults, it doesn't matter, but I oftentimes talk to young people. You pursue Jesus, and you will find the one who is pursuing Jesus, and you will not be doing this going apart. You will be going in the same direction at the same time, and you'll find the one that God has for you. You pursue Jesus, and the one that you find will be pursuing Jesus. If you find somebody outside of the church, outside of the relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you where you at. Because you're going the wrong way if you're seeing, finding them there. Don't look there. If you're going to find somebody who's equally yoked, because I'm telling you, if you find them outside, they may change. But remember, they're changing for you. They might go the same way as you for a little bit. But they may not stay there. Find them pursuing Jesus first and then find the relationship. Amen. Boy, that was good. Come on. All right. Come on. Jesus is being the key of David. Jesus, 
being the key of David, is the one that opens and no one can shut, and he shuts and no one can open. When God opens a door, and I want to emphasize this, and we did a little bit ago, but when God opens a door, no one can shut it. And when God closes a door, no one can open it. When God closes a door, no man can open it. But thank you, Jesus, when he opens it, how many know we don't have to worry about what people are going to do? We don't have to worry about the next person in line in seniority. If God opens a door for you to step into another position, another place, opens a door for you, you don't have to worry about who's next in line or who's, gonna, who's trying to take you out. If he opened it, no man can shut it. Come on. No man can shut it. Six doors, and we covered four of them. I'm sorry, five doors. We covered four of them last week. I'm going to give a quick recap here. Door number one that Christ opens for us. Five doors, five open doors to us through Jesus Christ. Christ opened the door of faith to Barnabas and Paul. And that's found in Acts chapter 14, verse 27. So there is an, a door of faith that is open to us. Many times, I want to recap quickly, many times we believe that we don't have the faith. How many of you ever felt like, I just don't have enough faith for this situation or that situation or what I'm going through? He, God releases through Jesus Christ faith for your situation. You don't have to have the faith. Jesus had the faith. If you don't have the faith, rest in Jesus' faith for your situation. He went to the cross having faith that it would change our situations. Come on. And so therefore, if even if you don't believe it, believe that Jesus knew what he was doing when he went to the cross to make the way for you to be free. Christ opened the door for faith. And he says that he opened the door for faith whenever we go into places, wherever we're going. Number two, Jesus holds the key of death and hell. We know that we don't have to walk in fear of hell. We don't have to walk in fear of death. Fear of death came through the fall of man through sin, but whenever we understand what Jesus Christ has done, Jesus took the keys of death and hell and the grave. Amen? That's found in Revelations chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. We covered that last week. You don't have to walk in fear. I talked to you last week about how I used to wake, be awake at night, not be able to sleep because of fear. Not knowing. Come on. Fear of death. Number three, Christ opened the door to preach the gospel in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. If God gives us opportunity, we know that we can walk into doors. If God opens a door, he's going to give us an open door. He's going to give us open doors to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share with others. Even whenever it says, you know, I, I think many times we, we're waiting for God to, to just make it so obvious to us, but he opens doors for us to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. He has given us opportunities, open doors, and when it's there, he's going to be opening it for us to know when to walk through. Amen? Number four, Christ opened a door of a word of utterance to speak. And that's found in Colossians 4, verses 3 through 4. How many of you wonder, I just don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to, I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know what to say many times when I'm trying to share what God has done. Come on. There is an open door of utterance. An open door to be able to share what the, through, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit what God has for us to share. Don't second guess it. Be led by the Spirit. We're learning to be led by the Spirit, not by what we understand in the natural, not by what we think. That's not being led by the Spirit. That's being led by what we know. 
But when we're led by the Spirit, we can trust what the Spirit's going to lead us into. Many times when we're sitting and talking to somebody, we don't know why for some reason God will take us to begin to share about something in our lives we've been through, only to find out later that that person is going through that at that very moment. Come on. He gives us, a, there's an open door of utterance. He will give us wisdom. Whenever I come up here, I pray that God gives me an open door of utterance, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the words that I speak, it's only by the Holy Spirit that it will have any power to bring change in our lives. My words have no power. But by the Holy Spirit, he'll give me the utterance, open door of utterance, to be able to speak words that will bring change through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's, that's the end of last week, and I want to pick up here talking about how Jesus makes it possible for us to walk in favor. I want you to think about the fact that it is only through Jesus Christ that we walk in favor. A great and effective door has been opened to us. A great and effective door has been opened to us to walk in favor. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. We looked at this verse last week, but I wanted to show it to you again because it's something critical here. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. It says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A great and effective. Now that word great there is, means, it uses the word in the Greek mega. And effective is energy. A mega energy door has been opened to me, to us. How many of you don't feel like, you know, sometimes God opens the door and says, God, how am I ever going to be able to do this? Ever ask the question, God, okay, if this is really what you have for me, maybe you begin to feel in your spirit that there's something that God wants you to do. Maybe it's go on a mission trip. Maybe it's be able to uh, take up a new job, take up something, and you're questioning, God, how am I ever going to be able to do it? Look at what the, the, name, the, the meaning of some of these words. A great, a mega and effective energy. A mega energy door. When God opens the door, he will give you the energy to be able to step through it with confidence. But I love this next part, and this is what I want to bring out. It says, there are many adversaries. Notice that it says that there are many adversaries. There will be critics. Come on. There will be critics. There will be opposers. It is because when God opens a door, there will be people who are jealous of your open door opportunity that God lays out. There will be people who are jealous wanting to know, well, why did God open that door for them? Why do they have that opportunity? There will, there will be people who are jealous of what will happen, and there will be critics and opposers to what God is doing. And I think that's critical for us to understand. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean there's not going to be adversaries. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean it's going to be roses. There's going to be hard times at for us to walk through. But he says he's going to give us the energy to be able to walk through it. A mega energy door. Come on, I love that. Because it's a picture of us being able to walk through in confidence, not in ourselves. If it's an open door that Jesus opens for us, then who's it going to be through? Who's it going to be from? Come on, that energy is going to be from him. He's going to give us the ability. He's going to give us the confidence. He's going to give us the, the, the know-how. Many times I feel unqualified for the things that God has called me to. Standing here today, I feel unqualified. But you know what? I know this is what God has called me to, so therefore I step through with confidence knowing that he's the one. He is the one. And you can too, whatever the area, whatever the thing is in your life. Number five, 
Christ has opened a door to open wombs. I believe that God has opened the door to open up wombs. Many of us look at it and go, well, what about us who maybe are past the age? You know what? Think about Abraham and Sarah. You know what? The fact of the matter is Christ has opened up wombs. If there's a situation that you have that is you're not able to have children, that's not God. Hello? That's not God. I refuse to believe that that is God's plan for us as children of God. I want you to think about the story of King Abimelech. We're going to look at a story here in Genesis chapter 30. But I want you to think about the story of King Abimelech. He took Abraham's wife, Sarah, to be in his harem. Before he could do anything, it says God closed all the wombs of his house. All the wombs of Abimelech's house. None of the women could have babies until later on when Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God opened the wombs. So God opens the womb. Come on. That is an open door. Now you say, well, how is, how is this an open door? Let's look at Genesis chapter 30, verses 22. It says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. Now, I know you're wondering, well, how is an open womb an open door? I want you to think about this for for a moment. I'm glad you asked that question. Job chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Because it did not shut up the door of my mother's womb. So here we see a picture of where Jesus, or God sees as he spoke, even in, in the word, it talks about a womb being an open door. Or a womb being a door. Okay? We have been given Christ, the key of David. Christ has opened the door of open wombs. Amen? Christ is the ability to be able to walk in everything that God has for us. And he wants to be able to open wombs. Don't tell me that God does not have a desire to open wombs. If not, he doesn't have the desire to raise the, 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 sick, the sick, the feeble, the lame, the dead. That is what Jesus did. And he said, we will see and do these things and even greater things. So why wouldn't God want to do that today? The woman with the issue of blood, her life was changed. Many times we try to put God in a box and say, well, it's not God's plan. If it's your desire to have children and that's the situation, I believe that God has a desire to change that situation. It's his desire to change that situation. Amen. While this is speaking of the natural wombs, it is also speaking of in our lives spiritual places or even places that we do not are not able to bear fruit. I want you to think about areas where we have not been able to be productive, we have not been able to be fruitful in our lives, areas where we have struggled in. Come on, anybody got those? I have those. Areas of our lives where we've not been fruitful, where there's, it's been hard, it's been barren. Come on, ever been in places where you feel like it's barren? This Jesus Christ is the one who changes the barren places. He's the one who's going to change the places where we are barren, where we're unfruitful, and he is going to be the key that open the door for fruitfulness in our lives. We will begin to see wombs to be fruitful. The key of David is who? Jesus. Come on. 
Jesus Christ. And he holds the key that opens what no man can close and close what no man can open. Come on, do you believe that? Amen. He can open what no man can close. Now, there are, this, there's a difference. There are keys that only Jesus holds, and that's the key of David, to open what no man closes. Now, that is not a key that we hold, but Jesus holds that key. There are keys now, though, that we hold that have been given to us. And I'm going to look at those. There are two keys that I want to be able to share um, today that have been placed in your hand. Last week, I had you pull out your keys. If you have keys with you, pull them out. Pull them out. <laughs> Because I want them to be symbolic. I want you to be thinking about the fact that you have been given keys and they are in your hand. We're going to be talking now about keys that are in your hand. I want you to sit them next to you because I may have you pick them up here in a little bit to jingle them and think about it. Because this week I want you to be thinking about, as you pick up your keys to put them in your car, I want you to be thinking about keys that are in your hand. Keys that are in your hands today. Amen. Genesis chapter 30, verses 22, it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Why did God open her womb? Thank you very much. She had to, it doesn't say it here that she asked, but for God to be able to listen to her, it says he listened to her. She had to have asked. She had to have been had to have spoken the words or asked God for this to happen. And that is the first key that I want you to understand it's, that is in your hands. Asking. Pray. Do not be afraid to ask and pray. Do not be afraid to pray. She had to pray before she had that situation move in her in her life. Number 1 key that has been placed in your hands is prayer. Nothing happened to her until she prayed. The fact that God listened to her was because that because she prayed. You cannot answer a question that I may have until I have asked it. Correct? And so the the thing that we many times walk around is that well God knows. God knows what I want. I don't have to tell him. No, the fact of the matter is he's waiting for us to verbalize and speak and ask. Why else would they have the scripture, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Those are all action words. It's talking about us doing something to be able to respond to what God is doing, what God wants to do. I find it interesting because he is a gentleman. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on any man. He gives us a free will. We have a choice of what we want to do. We can ask. Colossians 4, verse 3, it says, Meanwhile, praying, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open for us doors, for us a door for the word. And how did they start that out? We talked about this verse last week. But I want you to catch, how did they start it? How did the door open first? How did it start? Praying. Praying. Praying was what opened, what brought Jesus to be able to open the door. So there are doors that Jesus will open in our lives. But it starts by us, what? With the key that we have in our hand, prayer. Prayer is a key to open doors. The Ten Commandments, the law, never teaches, teaches you to pray. I want you to think about that for a moment. Prayer is not found in the law because the law presupposes, presupposes your strength. In other words, the law is beyond our ability. So it's not going to teach us 
to pray. Prayer is an expression of grace. It means I cannot, but God can. Prayer is, is, is acknowledging our weakness. It is acknowledging a need that we have in our lives. So I think it is an expression of grace. Pray. God, open a door of favor to me. Pray. Ask God. God, give me favor in my business. God, give me favor in my family. God, I pray, I ask, give me favor in every area of my life. Come on. Do you want it? It's a key that's in your hand. It is a key that's in your hand. I want that door of favor in my life. I want that door of favor in my business. I want that door of favor in my family, in my whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter. A key that you hold in your hand that opens doors, prayer. It sounds so simple because we know that. We know to pray. We know to pray. But many times we think, well, God knows my heart. Still need to tell him. It's amazing that prayer is as powerful as it is. Many times we, we, uh, we overemphasize it. We make it out to be something that's hard to do. I tell my children, this is how I'm te- trying to teach them. I said, prayer is talking to God just like you're talking to me. Prayer is talking to God just like you're talking to me. Now, is it interesting that if I, the... Well, I'm not going to use that example. That would be a bad one. I'm trying to think of somebody who would... Somebody give me an example of somebody with great, great influence. Great influence. If President Barack Obama walked in the door, how hard would it be for you to talk to him? Sometimes it's hard just because of how incredibly powerful of a person they are. You understand what I'm saying? But isn't it interesting? We want to simplify it because that's God's desire for us to be able to simplify and be able to talk to him. Many times we, we think, well, how am I supposed to pray? Well, um, I, I've got to say it like, um, like I've heard it and how I've, you know, I've seen it. And you understand what I'm saying? And we've overcomplicate the relationship because of who he is. Isn't it amazing the influence that we have with the God who created the entire universe? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe. The one who makes and has the power to open doors and close doors. The God who has the power to heal, to bring favor, to bless, to turn situations, to move mountains in our lives. Come on. Think about it for a moment. And we have the influence of simply asking and being able to speak to him at any moment at our disposal. Think about that for a moment. That is the influence that we have. Come on, say that. I have influence with God. That's hard to say sometimes. Say that again. I have influence with God. How many of you ever have been, have been around somebody who's a name thrower? They just throw out somebody's name. Oh, yeah, I know them. I, I know this person. I know that person. And uh, come on, you're a, you can do that with God. I have influence with God. Somebody says, well, we need this. Well, I know so-and-so. What? You do? Are you kidding? Wow. Or you're looking for a job or looking for this, and you say, oh, I know so-and-so. I know this person. And you throw out that name. Here's the, here's the deal. We do know. We have influence with God. Amen. We carry influence with God because we're a child of God. While we are weak in and of ourselves, we have influence with the one who is powerful. We are weak in and of ourselves. But isn't it amazing? Even in our weakness, we have influence with a powerful God. And a God who's not mad at us. 
Come on. A God who's not mad at us, who loves us. When God opens a door, it is so much better than when we open it ourselves. When God opens it, you know, when man opens a door, there's oftentimes, well, now I owe somebody. How many of you had somebody where they, they gave you a, they gave you, um, a leeway or opportunity or they've, they've, you know, there's someone opened a door for you. Now you feel obligated. There's things that now you owe them. Come on. But when God opens a door, there's nothing you owe. There's no obligations. He did it for you. When God opens it, it's so much better. We don't have to worry about who's going to close it, how long is it open, how's it going to happen, how's it going to work. He opens it, we can trust that he's going to be the only one that's going to ever close it. When God opens a door, it's always a door of love. Remember that. Write that down. When God opens a door, it's always a door of love. When God opens a door, it's always a door of love. It's not going to be something that's going to destroy you, and that's why we can trust that he's only got good for us. We can trust that he only has good for us. Okay, so we're going to look now at an example of a closed door because we talked about how God opens a door which no man can shut, but what about if he closes a door and it says no man can open? Come on. Some examples of some closed doors. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. I want God to be able to close the doors. We oftentimes say, God, just give me open doors. No, I don't want all open doors. If it's not his will, I do not want it. I want it to be closed so tight that Fort Knox couldn't get in. Come on. Tight as Fort Knox, right? We don't know if there's anything in there anymore, but anyway. But the truth of the matter is we want it to be tight. We want it to be closed. There's some things that I want the door to be tight to where I can't bust through it, even in my best ability. God, go ahead and close it. Make it so sure. I want, I want in my life to, when I come to a situation, I want it to be clear. I want it to be cracked. I don't want it to be partway. I want it to be shut so I know that that's not God's plan. Right? Acts 16, verses 6 through 7, it says, Now, when they had gone through, and this is uh, an example, this is Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas. When they had gone through, I don't know how to say that word, fire, fi, Phygia? We'll leave it at that. And the region of Galatea, which is another bad one. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Who? They were for what? Forbidden. The door was closed, in other words. The door was closed. And after that, after they had come to Mysia, I don't know if I'm saying that. I apologize if I'm mutilating those. They tried to go into that place. Thank you. But the Spirit did not permit them. So there again, they tried to go into two different places, but let's just say it in simple words, the door was closed. The Holy Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit did not allow them. And I wish it would go into more detail of how that happened or how that looks for us to be able to write it down. But you know what? You know, you can hear the voice of God. You know when the door has been shut for us. Is it possible? Now, I want you to think about this. According to this, is it possible for God to close a door for even evangelism? That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. So many times, we oftentimes, how many times have you ever left a situation where you're trying to witness to somebody or trying to share the 
what God has done. And you feel like, I blew it. Man, that was the worst I've ever shared. Come on now. Could it have been that God was closing a door? And you were trying to get through, but it just... And we walked away with our tail, be- uh, tail between our legs thinking that we just blew it. I just, I missed it. I had somebody in here the other day saying, man, I just, I missed it so bad. I missed, missed an opportunity. No. We don't know. God may have closed the door. He said, I knew what to say, and I just, I, I didn't say nothing. Could it have been that God closed the door? Now, only, only, the, only the Holy Spirit knows whether that was a true opportunity or whether. But we can walk in confidence knowing that if the door closes, don't worry about it. What's interesting about it is that Paul was an apostle to what? The non-Jews. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. And every time Paul preached to the Jews, they wanted to kill him. I want you to think about that for a moment. Every time that he tried to preach to the Jews, they wanted to kill him. But when he preached to the Gentiles, they heard him gladly. His favor and charisma were toward the Gentiles. So I want you to think about this for a moment. You need to know your assignment. You can be an evangelist, but you may not be an evangelist to the children. You may be an evangelist, but you may not be an evangelist to the adults. Are you understanding? In other words, find out what your assignment is. Maybe your assignment is not connected to. Uh, Paul, his assignment was not connected to the Jews. But it was when he, when he did it, he was most well received with the Gentiles. We need to understand that God closes the door and it may not be what, you know, it may be a closed door for a purpose because it's not connected to your assignment. We need to know what our assignment is. Ask God to open, ask God for open doors. And number two, know your assignment and follow that. Know your assignment. Know what God has called you to. Closed doors are only for our good. Many times we don't understand why is there a closed door here. We can trust God that whenever a door is closed, it's only for our good. Many people will say that they can't hear God. How many of you know that everybody hears God? Everybody hears God. Many people will say, well, I can't hear God because, well, I have sin in my life. Sin disconnects us from hearing God. That's not true. Anybody ever heard that? Come on. That's not true. You know how I know that? I want you to think about the story in the garden. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a sin. That was the only command that they had not to, not to take of. God came walking through the garden, and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I'm over here, God. I hid myself because of what I'd done. In other words, he heard the voice of God even though he had sinned. He knew the voice of God even though he had sinned. I heard your voice and I hid is what he said. So the second key that has been placed in your hand and we're going to look at this here in just a moment, is praise. The first one is prayer. The second one is praise. And we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It says, Now a certain woman named Lydia, I like that name, I don't know why, but anyway. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who, what? Worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to hear the things 
spoken by Paul. Now, I love this because it says the Lord opened her heart to receive as a result of her what? Of her worship. She was given an open heart. A door was opened to her to receive because of her worship. That's the second key that you carry in your hand is your worship. A key to bring open doors to be able to hear, to be able to receive what God has for us. To be able to worship. One of the reasons why we emphasize that so much in here, whenever we come in. You know what? Not to say that there's any less on prayer. But you know what? When we come into the presence of God and we worship God together in his presence, when we worship corporately, it's not a time for you to stand back and spectate. It's not a concert. Many times I wonder if I should even have the praise and worship team up here. Because we get into a spectator situation rather than entering into a worship. That is critical for us. It is critical for us to create atmosphere. It is one of the keys. One of the keys that opens doors for us to receive what God has for us. Lydia received because she had a heart to worship. It says she worshiped God. Acts 16, verses 23 through 34, it says Paul and Silas, and I'm going to give a preface to this story a little bit. Paul and Silas were being followed by this lady who was demon-possessed and involved in fortune-telling. Many of you remember the story. She was demon-possessed. She was following them around, telling them, these men are the men of the Most High God. And she was, but she was a fortune-teller. She wasn't saved, and she was following them around sort of almost as a mocking. Finally, Paul stops, and he stops and turns to her, and he, and he commands the demon to leave her. And when it came out, she no longer could tell the fortune. She no longer could tell, could do what she could do before. And the owner of this lady came and what he... What he did was he immediately got very upset with Paul and Silas. And he had them thrown in jail. Now this is not just a normal type of jail. This is a situation where... They were thrown into the deepest part. And this is where we're going to pick up in this story. Verse 23. Acts 16, verse 23. And it says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, so they were beaten. This was not a nice place to be. Because of what had happened, they were beaten. When it laid many stripes upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. I want you to notice that I want to draw special emphasis that keep them securely. This was very critical. They were going to they were not just thrown in jail, but they were kept secure. And it was it was not a pretty place. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So not only were they in jail, but they were in stocks inside this jail. And it was the inner jail. Now, many there's a lot of assumptions about what this was like. One of the things about this is they say this was a really nasty part of the jail. What they had was a jail that is, as best I can picture, it was something like had layers. And if you went to the inner part, it was where all the nasty stuff. They didn't have plumbing in these jails. Let's just put it that way. And all the stuff flowed down to the bottom inner part of the jail. And that is where these men were placed. 
So I can only imagine this was not just put down into a nice little dry spot. It was not put into a nice place that maybe smelled, you know, decent. It was not clean. But they were put into stocks in the bottom of this prison where it stunk and was the nastiest. Are you getting the picture here? In verse 25 it says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I want to ask you a question. What is your midnight situation? What kind of midnight situation are you in? In in the middle of the night, at midnight, they were struggling probably the very most. But it says they began to pray and sing hymns. Praying and singing to the Lord. Maybe you're in that midnight time in your life. What are you going to do? Paul and Silas chose to pray and to begin to worship God in the midst of their situation. In the middle of the stink. Can you imagine what it would have been like, Jim, if it was you and I? And we were in the bottom there and you're going, what happened? God, I thought you opened this door for us to preach. And all we do is cast out one demon and look where we're at. Yeah. Had to open your mouth. I don't want to open my mouth down here because it stinks. I mean, just think about how bad it was in that situation. What are we going to do, Paul? What are we going to do? Paul says, I think it's time for us to pray. I think it's time for us to sing. Begin to sing and praise God. In the middle of that situation, they began to sing and praise. And they didn't do it quietly under their breath. Because it says the, other, the others heard them. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. So this was not a silent praying. This was not a silent singing. They began to sing it out. I don't know what it sounded like. I can't imagine. I don't, I don't really know. But I can only imagine what it sounded like in the bottom of that place. Everybody knew that where they were at was one of the worst places in the prison. Think about that. I don't know what kind of situation you're in, what your midnight place is that you may be feeling like you're in. But let me tell you something. When people look at you and they see you in the middle of your midnight situation, still begin to praise God in the midst of that situation. Many times we look at it and go, people will think that I'm just crazy. You know what? It doesn't really matter. Because I am blessed the most that whenever I feel the worst, when I feel the weakest, when I praise God, I find I'm most encouraged by people around me. I'm most encouraged when I see you continuing to believe that God is good. You can't praise God unless you believe he's still good in the midst of your midnight situation, in the middle of your prison situation that stinks. And we don't know why we're there. Prayer and praise are the keys in your hands. That word hymns, it says they were praising or singing hymns. That Greek word is the word humnio, which means singing praises, singing psalms to God. Singing psalms. These psalms may have been psalms, and it it says that uh, there are some of the psalms, Psalms 113 through uh, Psalms 118, are known as the great hallelujah. Because they begin and they end with hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. How many of you noticed that in, in Psalms 118 through, uh, let's see, 113 through 118, they start and they end with praise the Lord. 
the great hallelujah psalms. And so there's a picture here that we see that this may have been some of the psalms that they were singing to the Lord in this place. But I want you to look at verse 26. Verse 26, it said, you got that? What's that first word? Suddenly. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Suddenly. Come on, say that. Suddenly. Suddenly. In the middle of your situation, suddenly something's going to happen. God's going to move in your situation. You used to be sick, but suddenly you're healed. You used to be at the bottom, but suddenly you're on top. You used to be the tail, but suddenly you're the, you're the head. Suddenly your situation turned around. Suddenly your health changed. Something happened in your physical body. Suddenly something happened. We don't know what happened, but all of a sudden hearts were changed in relationships. Suddenly something happened. It changed everything. Jesus is using the key. And all of a sudden, something happened in their situation. Paul and Silas' situation changed in a moment, suddenly. Nothing happened before they prayed and lifted up praise to God in the middle of their mess. But while they were praying and singing praises, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. All the doors were open. It doesn't say just one. You know, it's interesting because we're talking about an earthquake here. You want to know when an earthquake is of God? No one died. No one died. Isn't it interesting when you have a, an awful earthquake, they call it, what, an act of, act of God. That's not an act of God. God doesn't bring earthquakes. He doesn't bring hurricanes. He doesn't bring those things. Tornadoes. He doesn't bring those things. They're not an act of God. An act of God, nobody dies. Come on. When God brings an earthquake, when God brings a tornado, nobody dies. Are you hearing me? It's a, it's a wrong concept of, of God whenever, we, whenever that statement is made. But it says all the doors were opened. Everyone's chains were loosed. What kind of chains are holding you today? My challenge to you is ask God to open doors, to loose the chains that are holding you today because there's a suddenly that he wants to move in our situation. There's a suddenly. Verse 27, it says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, seeing the prison doors open, supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now I want you to think about this for a moment because of all the things for him to notice, of all the, of the mess that was happening, of all the things to catch the jailer's attention, not the earthquake, not the chains falling off, the thing that got, that got this jailer was seeing every prison door open. I want you to think about that for a moment. Why did that catch his attention? Why was that the thing that caught his attention? Because at the very beginning, I want you to remember what we talked about. I said, notice who he locked the doors. He was the key holder. He was the one who opened the door. He was the one who locked the doors. He was the one who was still holding the key. Now all those doors that he locked are now wide open. 
Why was this so detrimental to him? Why was this one aspect so big? Because the doors that he shut that no man could open, God opened. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? The doors that God opens, no man can shut. God had a plan to open those doors, and no man could keep them shut. It was his plan. Why? Because he held the keys. He was the one who closed and secured all the doors which were now open. This jailer was the one who closed all those doors. How could what he shut be opened? What man shuts, Jesus can open. And what he shuts, no man can open. This jailer, seeing that the prisoner's doors were open, knowing that he would be held accountable, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And I want you to catch what happens in this next verse, verse 28. And Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. That jailer could have very easily been one of the ones that beat Paul and Silas. But isn't it interesting when you're moved by grace, the grace of God has been, you're moved by the love and the grace of God that even you still love the ones who have persecuted you the most. He is the only way that we are able to truly love others the way we're supposed to. Okay, we're going to go through this very quickly here for time's sake. I apologize. Verse 29, it says, Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and what? Your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them to the same, that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and his and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he what? Rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. He rejoiced. There's something that happens when we come to an understanding of what God has saved us from. There is a rejoicing, even in the midst of he had lost his job. He rejoiced because he knew that his family was saved. There's something that happens whenever we know that us and our entire household is saved. God is going to put in the key to open the doors for you and your entire household. God is the one who's going to open the door. Suddenly, this jailer's life was changed. Get ready for open doors. Come on, I said get ready for open doors. Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, it says, I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. As a door of hope. That word Achor there means trouble. In the valley of trouble, God is going to give you a door of hope. In your valley of trouble, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're feeling, many times I, I struggle the most in being stressed. I stress over, over jobs. I stress over a lot of things. But I am learning to rest because I know that in that valley, there's a door of hope. Amen? In whatever valley that you're in, there's a door of hope. Hope is a positive expectation of good. In your valley of trouble, God will open a door of hope. People tell you to get your, don't get your hopes up. Have you ever heard that? Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. 
Come on. God is saying, raise your hopes, not in what you see, but in me. Raise your hopes in Jesus because he can be trusted. Raise your hopes in Jesus. Don't do it in and of yourself, but raise your hopes in Jesus. Go ahead. Get your hopes high because he meets us at our point of expectation. He meets us at our point of expectation. So raise your hopes high. In your trouble, he wants to open a door of hope. I have a picture here as we close that a, uh, a painter painted this picture. And it's in accordance to this uh, verse I want to read here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And he got a lot of criticism for this picture. Because there's a picture, as you can see, of Jesus standing at the door knocking But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I want you to go back to that picture for a moment. Because Aaron brought this out a couple weeks ago because we heard this shared and it was very powerful to us. But one of the things that's critical to understand, he got criticism, the painter, the man who um, painted this painting. But he, he was criticized because he didn't put a door knob or any kind of handle closure on this door. And it's critical for you to understand, he said, I did that for a purpose because no one can open the door. The doorknob is only on your side. Because Jesus will never force himself in. He says, I stand at the door and knock. You have to open the door. Now it's interesting because one of the things about this is that many times this scripture is used as to the unbeliever. And I believe it can be used in that way. But this here was written in Revelations. He was talking to the church. The church who had become lazy, a spirit of apathy had set in, and they had become very neutral in even recognizing Jesus for who he was and what he actually offered. And he said in this verse, a church that had grown lukewarm, a church that had grown to a place that did not really see their need for Jesus, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, even to us, the church of Jesus Christ, even us as believers, he stands as a gentleman waiting for us to ask to open that door, to have him come in and to open doors and to use the keys that he has given. He stands at the door. He says, I will, but you have to open that door. Even for us as believers. Many times it's put out as the, to, the, to the non-believer. He stands at the door knocking, waiting to come into your life. But the reality is, even for us as believers, he offers so much more than just salvation. He holds keys. He holds opening the ability to open and close doors that no man can open or close. But he will not do that unless you allow him. It's critical for us to understand that. He stands at a door. But you only have, you're the only one with the doorknob to open it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Amen. We hold the one. We serve the one who holds the key of David. The one who can open doors and close doors that no man can open or shut. And we hold two keys in our hand. I want you to realize the importance of your, your opportunity to use those keys of prayer and of praise to be able to open doors in our lives. It's in your hands. It's in your hands.
And we have that opportunity. He wants to open doors. He wants to move things in our lives. He wants to change things in our lives. He is the one who we can look to. If you want to do it in and of yourself, you go ahead. But it's going to be rough. God wants to be the one that we rest in and allow him to do the work that he came to do, that he's already finished and already done for us. Amen. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we just pray that, Father God, Lord, we would receive and see you as the fullness of what you've done for us. That we'd see the doors, Father God, that you've put before us. Father God, we hear your voice and know exactly what you have for us. That we'd walk through with confidence, Father God. Lord, we'd know. I pray right now, Father God, for each and every person that even has those doors that are open before us, Father God. That, Lord, we need the energy the confidence to be able to walk through knowing that you are with us, that you've opened the door, so therefore you've given us all that we need. You are sufficiency, Father, to be all that you've called us to be, Father. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to walk in confidence, Father God, using the keys that you put before us of praise and prayer, Father God. Lord, that we can walk and experience, Father God, and receive that suddenly, Father God, in our lives. That suddenly you'll move in our situation and change everything that we're walking in. Change our situation. Deliver us, Father God, from our situations. We thank you for it, Father, today. We give you the praise and the glory. We thank you, Father God, that you were, even, Father God, as that great picture that we saw at the beginning. Lord, I thank you that you are that soldier that was sent on the death mission for us, Father. Lord, I pray that we would receive the fullness of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.